Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. And so as I said, we're going to continue in our series, After God's Heart, and we're looking at the life of David. Last week, we looked at the life of David and, and how David handled conflict after he was king. We, we, earlier in the series, we talked about how he handled conflict before he was king and before he had authority. But we looked last week to see if anything had really changed in the way that he handled things and, 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 and talked about the importance of our relationships with others and how we handle conflict and the, the, what, what God's desire is. And talked about the fact that God has called all of us who are believers into the ministry of reconciliation and and that he wants us to be a part of that, to reconcile uh, people to God, but then reconcile relationships that are broken even among people. And, and so today we're going to shift gears just a little bit and we're going to continue to look at David's life. But over the course of this series, we've talked about the fact that being someone who was after God's own heart did not mean that David was a perfect man. Uh, David had uh, many faults and failures, just like all of us have many faults and failures. But today, we're going to look at how he handled failure, when he made mistakes. And, and David made some big mistakes. Like, how do you recover in your relationship with God? When you have failed and when you've made mistakes, and we're going to talk about, uh, the, we're going to start with a story that uh, most people know as as one of the uh, uh, the bigger mistakes that David uh, made in his life, and that was when uh, he, his sin with Bathsheba. And so, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Second Samuel, uh, and we're going to be in chapter twelve. But I'm going to kind of set it up for you. You know, David, for those of you who may not know the story, David was the king. And, and the Bible starts out the, the chapter where David sins with Bathsheba with at the time when kings were supposed to be at war. And so David uh, was supposed to be out on the battlefield and stuff during this time. But some of his, his people had convinced him uh, not to because they didn't want him to uh, die. He was too valuable to the kingdom and everything. So he stayed behind. And so one night he's out for a stroll at the palace and he looks and he sees a woman who is bathing on the rooftop of, of a house nearby. And when he sees her, like he desires her and he sends his guards to go get her. And, and she uh, is brought into the palace and he sleeps with her and later finds out that she has become pregnant. Now when she finds out, when he finds out that she has become pregnant, now David has uh, to do some cover-up. He's got to, he's got to, uh, he, he can't let it be known kind of what's happened. And so he, he goes into cover-up mode. And so he brings her husband Uriah home from war. And he's like, yeah, you, you can go home and, and, and just go be with your wife, enjoy your family and, and all of that. But Uriah sleeps on the doorstep. He refuses to go into the house. And so then he tries to get him drunk and get him to go in. And he still refuses to go in to this house because he's like, how can I uh, go sleep with my wife and, and things when all of the, my, my people that I've been in battle with are, are out to war? I'm, I'm not going to do that. 
And so David, in order to cover things up, has to write out basically what was his death sentence. And, and he wrote out orders to have uh, them, when they go into battle, to put Uriah on the front lines. And then to draw back the, the, the rest of the army so that Uriah is killed. And so when you look at the sin that David has done, at this time, you had the Levitical law and everything, but one of the big things was like the Ten Commandments. So, you know, God had his top ten laws that you weren't supposed to break, and here David breaks two of them. He commits adultery, and he has someone murdered to cover up his adultery. So this isn't like... He told a little white lie, you know, because in our, in our mind process, we have big sins and little sins. You know, what, what people do against us, that's big sins. What we do to other people's little sins, right? That's kind of the way that we roll with it sometimes. But David broke two major commandments, and then God sends a prophet named Nathan to David. And he goes to David and he starts telling this story about a man who had a sheep and he had one little lamb and this little lamb, uh, you know, he, he ate from his table. He, he, he slept in his bed. Like he, he treated this lamb uh, like it was a pet. It was, it, was, it was so special and precious to him. And then there was a rich man who had all of these great possessions. And, and, and these people came in and, and they, they needed to kill a lamb in order for them to eat. And, and the rich man took the lamb from the, the poor man who only had one and, and took it to, uh, to, to be slaughtered so that it could be fed. And David is enraged. David is mad. He's like, that, that person is deserving of death. He, he should die for that. And then in verse 7 of chapter 12, it says, Nathan looked at David and said, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you to be king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And then look at this statement that God makes. And if this had been too little, I would have given you much more. Like he's, God is showing David Listen, you don't have to take what somebody else is. You don't have to fight for something else. Like, all you had to do was ask me. If you really needed more, if the blessing that I gave you was not enough, all you would have had to do was ask and I would have gave you. You didn't have to do this sin that you did. And so David is kind of exposed in his sin that, that he probably thought that he had gotten away with until this point. And, and that he had covered it up and that nobody would know about it. And, and he's exposed to him. And, and David, Nathan continues and tells him, like, there's going to be punishment for this. Because you've sinned, the, the, the sword isn't going to depart from your family. People are going to rise up. You, you know, even the, the baby that, is, that Bathsheba is pregnant with right now is going to die. And you would think, like, it just, David's response could have been toward Nathan I mean, he could have had him killed. He could have ignored it. He could have made excuses. He's powerful. He's the king. But there's none of that in David's response. Instead, verse 13 says that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So he takes ownership of it. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sins and you will not die. 
Now, I want you to think about this real quick and put yourself in David's situation. If somebody confronted you with your sins or your failures, how would you handle it? If somebody came up and, and, and showed the things that you're doing wrong in your life, what would be your response? Would your response be a long list of reasons why you did it and why you were justified to do it? Would it, would it be beginning to make excuses? Well, it, it's because of the way that I was raised. My parents were like this, and, and, and so that's the way that, that I was. And, well, if, if you only knew what they did to me, then you wouldn't even think what, happened, what I did to them was that bad. Is, is, is that what you do? Because many of us, when, when people confront us with our sin, the first thing we want to do is deflect and begin to point out their sins. Versus begin to do what David did and take ownership and repent of your part. Listen, anytime there's any type of conflict, there's two sides of that story and at least two people that are involved. And the majority of the time, one of them isn't perfectly innocent in it. There was something, even if the other person was 98% wrong, there's still the 2% that you didn't do right. And we need to take ownership of the 2% that we have. Many of us, the minute that we are confronted with our sins or even God begins to convict us of our sins or we hear a message and it kind of steps on our toe, the, the first thing that we begin to do is go into shame. We, we begin to, when we, when we sin or make a mistake that we know is a sin and we failed before, we instantly begin to feel distant in between you and God. You begin to feel like God rejected you. Come on, anybody ever been in that position before where you felt like, I can't go pray because I'll be a hypocrite. Do you know what I've done? I've failed, I've sinned. God's not gonna bless me in any way. And, and we feel rejected by God. And we treat God as if he's part of like the culture that we have today. You know, in the culture we have today, it's a cancel culture. So if you don't like somebody or you don't like a decision or you don't like what they've done, then you, you just cancel them. You don't follow them. You trash them. You do what? because you, you don't want to deal with them in any way, shape, or form. And we almost think that God treats us like that, that when we fell, that's it. I ain't dealing with him no more. Todd, you're out, kicking you out of the family. You're gone. And we hear messages about how God is love, that, that not God loves, but that God is love. But there's a disconnect because many of us think that he can love other people, but he just can't love me. And so because we don't understand the love of God, then we instantaneously begin to feel, well, I'm going to be judged by God. And like we become more concerned with, with like that, that if we sin and if we have a failure, like God's going to instantly turn and send us to hell. But David's response wasn't like that at all. David wasn't afraid that because of what he did that, that God was going to send him to hell. Like David wrote a, a, uh, a psalm, and it, it's Psalms 51, and, 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 and in no part in this does he, does he say anything about please don't send me to hell or please don't, you, you know, what, it, it, there's nothing like that. He, he takes ownership of what he's done, and he begins to ask God to change it in Psalms 51, verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know that my transgression and my sin is ever before me, but it is against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And he goes on in verse 7 and he says, Purge me with hyssop and, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter as snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And then he says, Hide not your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. David doesn't make excuses. David doesn't run from God. He runs to God and says, I know I messed up. I know I've made mistakes. I know I have failed. And God, I need you to cleanse me. See, the way that we try to do it too much is we try to do it in like a religious form of things. We try to clean ourselves up and we try to clean our act up to where we feel worthy enough to go back to church, to where we feel worthy enough to, to really ask God for anything in our lives. There's so many people who won't ask God to do anything in their life simply because they were like, God would never listen to me. I'm, I've, I've messed up too bad. God would never hear my prayer. And David committed murder. David committed adultery. Now, I don't know if we have any murderers that are sitting in the room today that committed a murder and had it covered up, I would probably say we don't. I would kind of hope that we wouldn't. But even if we did, we respond the way David did. I've sinned. I've failed. God, the only thing that can make me better, the only thing that can change me is you. Clean me. If you will clean me, I'll be whiter than snow. But if I just try to mess around and try to blot this out, I'm never going to get out of the sin. I'm never going to get out of the struggle. But God, I know that you were able to clean me. So he goes and he, no excuses, owner, full ownership. I sinned against you. I need you. I need you to clean me. And he doesn't begin to pray, God, please don't punish me and please don't. Like, it, it, there's none of that. The biggest thing that David begins to pray is that he doesn't lose his relationship with God. That there's not a, he doesn't lose his closeness with God. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But instead, re restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David's biggest fear was not that anybody would know what he did. David's biggest fear was not that God would just send him to hell. David's biggest fear was, God, I don't want to lose the closeness that we have. I don't want to lose relationship. All of us know that when we sin and we begin to sin, 
the distance that we feel in between us and God, that, 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 that because of that gap that, that kind of comes in there. And, but, but we all have the promise. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, what John's writing about is exactly what David did. Just own up to what you did. Begin to ask God to clean you from it, and he'll restore you right back to the position that you were. He doesn't kick you out of the house. He doesn't reject you. But David said, I don't, I don't want one moment of my life to be away from your presence. You see this throughout David's life, that David consistently had a heart for the presence of God. There was always a desire for him to be in the presence of God. In Psalms chapter 27, verse 4, it says this, One thing that I have asked, the one thing that I seek after... I want to stop right there real quick. If, if, if I told you that you could ask for one thing in your life, what would be the one thing that you would desire most in your life? For some people, it might be a spouse. For some people, it might be money. For some people, it might be a position. For some people, it might be some possession or something like that. But out of everything that David could have asked for, he said the one thing, the thing that is most important to me, is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The thing that's most important to me is you. I just want to be with you. And that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And that I may inquire in his temple. Psalm 63 verse 1 says this, O oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. And that, that word earnestly doesn't mean casually. It doesn't mean passively. It means with all your heart. Like if David were in a worship service with us today, David wouldn't have been just kind of standing there, away my soul and sing. Sing your praise aloud, praise aloud. When are the babies going up? When are they, when are we doing that? Awake my soul and sing. David would have been, awake my soul and Sing. I mean, they woke up. If you're saying awake and sing aloud, he's not going to sing it soft. David had a desire for the presence of God, and he didn't care what anybody thought that was around him. When, he, when, there was, when it was time to worship God, he was going to pour his heart out to him. That's why many of David's psalms and things that he wrote says, With all that is within me, bless your holy name. Bless the Lord all my soul and, and forget not his benefits. Like There's so many things that's about the pursuit, about passion, about, about uh, loudly worshiping him on the instruments and things, about putting everything that you have in. David was such a worshiper that even... Even his wife got embarrassed by how he worshipped. 
And they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, which represents the presence of God. And David's dancing around, and, and, and I mean, he took this royal robe off, and he is just dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And his wife looks at him and is like, well, the king was real dignified today. <laughs> oh, look at the king danced out of his robe. What, what is everybody thinking about you, David? And he's like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I will become even more undignified than this because I am praising the God who put me on this throne. You remember your dad who used to sit on this throne? God took the throne from your dad who tried to kill me. He rescued me, gave me the throne, and set me in this kingdom. And so I'm not going to let you or anyone else stop my level of praise because I realize what God has done for me. And so I will earnestly seek, I will passionately seek, I will with my whole heart seek after God. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And is in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so that I look upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better then life, my lips will praise you. And so I will bless you as long as I live, and your name I will lift up, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'm, I'm lifting you, I'm exalting you. When you raise your hands, there's different things that it can mean. Part of it is, you know, I exalt you. Uh, another way, it, it can be like, I surrender to you. You know, uh, another thing is, I'm lifting up my, my problems and my sin and my things to you to give to you. There's, like, there's different representations and there's different times in your life. Sometimes you're having to remind yourself that God is higher than the struggle you're in and so you're exalting him. Sometimes he's asking you to do something and you really don't want to do it and so you're kind of surrendering to him. Sometimes you realize there's weights and things that you can't do anything about and so you're giving them to them but David said whatever mode it is I know one thing that I'm going to do is seek after you with extended hands and raise hands toward you my God in heaven David had a love for God and he, he above all else wanted to be right with God even after this sin that he has with Bathsheba and Later, David makes another mistake. And some people may be like, my goodness, this day. I mean, God forgave him of murder and adultery, and then he's still going to mess up? Well, don't you do the same thing over and over again? Let's be honest. How many times has God forgiven you of something, and then you went and did it again? Come on, the truth will set you free in here this morning. I'm just letting you know. The sooner that we're really able to realize that we, apart from Christ, are messed up and we don't want to be in that position, we'll find ourselves in the part where David, where our heart desires God, where we want to be in his presence because we know if we step outside of his presence, we'll probably mess the whole thing up. I can tell you, every single Sunday morning, you know how I start my day? Right here. God, please don't let me mess this thing up. <laughs> Father, help me. Because they don't need to hear me. They need to hear you. Because if there's anything in me that leaks out, if there's anything in me that leaks out, 
And some Sundays, I'm able to lay here, and it's five or ten minutes, and I feel like, okay, I'm good. And then there's other Sundays, it's 45 minutes, and, I'm, and I have to go back in my office and lay on the floor in my office. God, there's still stuff in me. you got to get it out. Because I don't want to give them anything that's from me. And we have to have that realization of how desperately we need God. So David finds himself again making a mistake in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. It says that Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. Now, when you look at this, compared to adultery and murder... Taking a census, which, you know, just counting his army and how many people were in the, the nation and everything, doesn't seem like too big of a deal. And there's a whole lot of different philosophies and scenarios of why they think this was a big thing and everything. But the idea, Scripture says that the idea came from Satan to do this. And so my particular thought on it is just this, is how did, why did Satan fall? Satan fell because of pride, Right? Because he wanted to exalt himself. This is the enemy trying to get David to the place where he looks how big his kingdom is. How mighty his kingdom is. And, and all of this. And so it's pride rising up in his heart. You see other places earlier in, in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar uh, goes out one day on his rooftop. And looks out at the kingdom that, that he's been given. And, and, and begins to think about how great the kingdom was that he had. And God humbled him and made him eat like grass out of a field for seven years. And then it's, it's interesting that the minute he came to his mind and realized that everything that he had came from God, he comes right back to his right mind and he's able to go back to the kingdom. And so I believe this is pride starting to raise up in David's heart a little bit. And it says, David said to Joab, the, the commander of the armies, go take a census of all the people from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north and, and bring a report so that I may know how many there are. And Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. This is, again, another reason why I think this is about how big the kingdom is and, and all of that. It's because Joab's response is about how many people there are. And he says, but why, my Lord, would you do, uh, do you want to do this? Are the, <clears throat> Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to, to sin? But the king insisted on the census, and he sent Joab. And Joab went throughout the land, and all of Israel, and he began to count the people. So Joab goes, and he takes the census, and he comes back to King David, and he gives him the report of how many people were there. And then verse 7 says that God was very displeased and he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, for this was a foolish thing. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, or David's prophet. And, and he said, this, this uh, was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. You can choose one of your punishments, and I will afflict it on you. Come on, you ever had a parent tell you, like, go get me something to whip you with, like all you old school, or go get a switch. Come on, that's, that's, the, that's the hillbilly version of it. Go get me a switch, you know. 
And you're not going to a weeping willow tree and kind of breaking one off of that. Like you're trying to find one that you know is going to break on the first hit. That way you, you definitely don't want one of them real flexible ones that kind of wraps around your leg. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of the young people are like, what in the world? All I've had is the naughty step. I don't know nothing about no. I got sent in time out one time. I don't know about a switch. And we talking about a switch, a light switch, a Nintendo switch. What do you mean? Like, and that's basically what God's doing. He's like, I'm going to let you choose your punishment. Because we talked about earlier this year that not every bad thing that happens in our life is a sign that we're being punished. But when we have sin, there are times when God will punish you. And, and can I let you know something? Like, God always lets you know when you're being punished. Think about this as a parent. Do you just punish your kid and not tell them why? Do you just tell them you're grounded? Well, why am I grounded? You're grounded? And just let them go on? Like, no. You tell them what their punishment is. You explain why. You explain what they did wrong. And then, but because you did this wrong, this is your consequences and this is what it is. God's the same way with us. There's so many things that we think God has punished us. There's just natural consequences of sin. He didn't let him guess if he was, he said, okay, you're forgiven, but there is going to be a punishment for it. And you know what? I'm going to let you pick your switch. Give you three choices. He said, and these are the choices. You may choose three years of famine. You may choose three months of destruction by the sword of your enemy, or three days of severe plague from the angel of the Lord as he brings devastation throughout Israel. Decide what your answer is, and I will give the Lord, uh, that I should give to the Lord who sent me. And David's response was this, I'm in a desperate situation, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Don't let me fall into the hands of man. See, with us, many of us would rather face man than face the Lord, because we're so afraid that the Lord would just burn us up, just strike us with lightning, just wipe us out. But David said, no, I know you're a merciful God. You remember we talked about this earlier this year, that in at least three psalms that David wrote, he said, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger, and he is rich in loving kindness. That's what he said in psalms. He talks about his mercy and, and all of those things. David knew God in a way that we don't, and he said, I would rather fall into your hands, God. So the Lord sends a plague. And the plague hits and they get a body count of already 70,000 people that have been killed by this plague. It says that the angel of the Lord was actually heading toward the city of Jerusalem, which was where the most of the population would have been. And God allowed David to see the angel heading there. In verse 16, it says, David looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with the sword drawn and reaching over Jerusalem. 
And David and his leaders of Israel put on burlap uh, to show their great distress. And they fell face down on the ground. And David said to God, I am the one who called the census. I am the one who sinned and did wrong. But these people are innocent as sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, let, not your, let your anger fall against me and my family and do not destroy your people. David begins to stand in between God and the people. And David says, let me take the punishment. This is all my fault. Don't, don't let them pay the price for what I did. Blame me. Take this out on me and my family. Many of us, if we begin to see God do the things that he did, one of the first responses that we would have would be to be angry at God. God, why are you doing, this is unfair, this isn't right. All I did was count how many people there are, and you've killed 70,000 people. You're not the just God. You're not merciful. You're not gracious. Like Our thoughts and our process would have completely flipped on who we thought God was. But not David. David fell on his face and said, God, let me punish me. It says that an angel came to David and told him what to do, and he told him a certain sacrifice he needed to go make. And instantly, as soon as he knew how to make things right, David goes into action and begins to make the sacrifice. And it says that God relented and stopped the plague from taking place and stopped the angel of the Lord that was heading toward Jerusalem. He said, it is enough, and let him go. It would have been very easy for David to now become angry with God. It seems a bit extreme, God. Why would you do this? Why would you punish somebody else for what I did? But he didn't curse God. He didn't blame God. David understood that he made mistakes and that his sin had consequence. This particular sin had a plague. The sin that he had with Bathsheba, you know, we talked about those consequences earlier. They're, they're listed in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9. It says, have you uh, despised the word of the Lord uh, to do evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you've taken his wife, and you've, had, you've killed him at the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore... The sword will not depart from your house. You remember the story that we read last week or the story that I told you last week? What did I, I, I tell you about? I told about how Absalom killed his brother Amnon, which were both sons of David, because of what he did to Tamar. This is part of it. The sword will not depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from within your own house. Who was trying to take David's life? Who was trying to take the throne from David last week? His own son, Absalom. From within his own house. Is there any wonder then 
Because this actually happened before Absalom raised up, okay? Is there any wonder that David had compassion on Absalom because he realized that part of this was his own fault from his sin from taking this census? Or from Bathsheba and his sin with Bathsheba? David was trying to be compassionate toward Absalom. David was trying to not take his life because God had shown him mercy. Even if you just read one story, it could look like David was a complete absent parent. And maybe to a degree he was with those things. He, you would think there would be some punishment because God brought punishment to him. But you can begin to see if David had been shown such great mercy, he wanted to extend great mercy to other people. He didn't want to receive mercy and then hold other people hostage for their sins. He wanted to extend it. He even says, and I will give your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors and he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. And that's part of the story that we didn't talk about last week that Absalom actually took the concubines and wives of David that were left in Jerusalem and slept with them all in front of everybody as a mockery to the king. And yet with all of this that David's went through, you know, he lost the baby. That was another part of what it was that Bathsheba's baby would die. But when Bathsheba's baby died, how did David respond with that? While he's waiting on that, he's, he's praying and he's fasting, he's mourning, he's crying out, he won't eat anything. They're trying to get him to eat, they're trying to get him to do anything, and he won't do anything but be on his face praying and crying out to God. And they're afraid to even come and tell him that the baby's died because they're afraid he may kill himself or do something because of, if, if he's that distressed, when the baby's still alive and it's just sick, if he finds out he's going to die, that's it. But they came in and they told him, and they were trying to whisper and they didn't want him to know, and he said, is the baby gone? And they said, yes. It says that David got up and he wiped his eyes, he cleaned himself up, he ate some food and he went into the house of God and he began to worship God. They were confused by that. Why would you do that? He said, when the baby was still alive, then I maybe God would have moved and spared him. But when he chose to take him, then I'm going to be right where I need to be in the presence of God. David continually in sin, in, in, from his own failures in tragedy and things that happened in his life the one thing that David sought after the most was being in the presence of God David was not afraid of God he was afraid to be without God so I ask you this question when you're confronted with your sin what's your response do you begin to make excuses do you begin to oh man I'm so horrible. I'm the worthless person. I, you know, God could never love me. I, you know, I'm just, I might as well just quit. Or do you hit your knees and begin to pray and ask God to move? See, one of the biggest signs of spiritual maturity is not that you'll never make a mistake again. It's that when you make a mistake, you're very quick to make things right so that you're not so there's no separation of sin in between you and God because of that mistake. And you go and you repent. 
whether it's the people or, you know, if it's something you did in front of people, you repent to the people that are around. If it's something you said to somebody, you, you repent to the, the person that you said it to. And if it's something that only God knows, then versus running from God for four or five days and wallowing around in your sin and your failure, you do like David and you run to the house of God. You say, God, I'm dirty. I need you. I sinned and I sinned against you and you only. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.